1: This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Pop Culture Confidential Deep Dive. I am excited about this one. It's kind of personal, certainly for the director in question, for me and lots of film lovers around the globe. Steven Spielberg, as you know, has always processed his childhood, his parents, their divorce, his traumas through his stories. Now he's returning with his most personal movie yet, The Fablemans, literally an account of his parents. So here on Pop Culture Confidential, we're going to prepare for that today. On this episode, we're diving into Spielberg's career from the point of view of how he has depicted, processed, and analyzed his own life, his parents, his traumas, and personal revelations through his career. Let me introduce my guest who's going to join me on this journey, a returning favorite one of the best he's awards watch executive editor and host of chasing the gold podcast at insessionfilm.com Ryan McQuaid welcome back
0: Oh my god thank you so much that's so nice um to be a favorite oh my god yes uh, you're yeah. asked for Oh well i i i appreciate that and no it's such an honor to be here um it's always a thrill to talk to you you know it's thrill to talk about movies
1: it is. And this is gonna be exciting. This theme, I've I've been wanting to talk to someone who's as knowledgeable as you. I mean, people who have followed my show know that E.T. meant a lot to me. I'm I'm a kid who who moved around a lot and, and grew up in different places. I mean, even Jack Thorne, the the screenwriter who wrote Enola Holmes and stuff, we bonded in an interview here that we both named our kids Elliot. So
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: in general, what's your relationship to Spielberg?
0: I think for all of us, Steven Spielberg is our childhood. Steven Spielberg is our is our entryway um, to cinema at such a young age. Um, he represents our innocence in a lot of a way, and he represents magic. I, I say this a lot of the time about Spielberg um, in his more recent efforts, in that the magic has been gone for a long time, I think, for a lot of people. And then I see something like West Side Story, and I went, "Oh my God, the man's back! He can he can obtain he magic. Is. He's a he's a, a magician with the camera, and um, evoking emotions and emotionality through character based stories. I mean, sure, some of them are about uh, an archaeologist, or some of them are about um, paleontologists, or some of them, you know, are the most harrowing stories about real life figures." But they all have this groundedness within them that speaks true that not a lot of directors um, can do. I don't consider him the the goat. Um, that would for me that would you know of a, of American filmmakers it would be probably be somebody like Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. or you know um, you know or or various other people from from that time period that are they would consider colleagues. But Spielberg has this mentality, I think, for all of us, is that he is the most commercial successful of of many of his peers, and he's able to do things that others can't. And by doing that, now he has the ability to, with the Fablemans, as you mentioned, tap into his childhood. Not many directors get the privilege to do that. Um, A lot of directors have been doing that nowadays, it seems like, uh, before it's too, for I guess the checks and Hollywood and streamers are the only ones that can allow you to do them. Um, But still, there's something about when you put on a Steven Spielberg movie and you're like, okay, I got magic for two hours.
1: Give us the rundown briefly on the Fablemans. Um, it just won the a big audience award at the Toronto Film Festival, and seems to be making its way towards Oscar. Could be a best picture contender.
0: Well, it does, like you said, it, it it's a sort of semi autobiographical film. Um, him and um, Tony Kushner, who wrote Lincoln and uh, West Side Story, uh, collaborated on this project, and it's been something he's been wanting to make for seemingly his entire career, as we'll talk about today. Um, but it it, it falls uh just a, a family and a, a young child whose whose parents are sort of um he sees them through the prism of being a you know, a child. Um, but also of course going through this this divorce and it's going through the entire story of of the Spielbergs without being about the Spielbergs, if that makes sense. They're saying mm-hmm. that it's just the Spielbergs and um, it stars uh, the wonderful Michelle Williams and Paul Dano and Seth Rogen and Judd Hirsch and um, tons of other people.
1: A cameo by David Lynch,
0: evidently. You know, <laughs> another goat. Uh, another goat. In many, and in, in many, in many stands. And I'm just dying to see it. I, I, I love course, those
1: two together. I could, I wouldn't have figured, but
0: <laughs> what a set that must have been. Yes. Can we just get like? Can we just, just get a documentary there, that on that? Yeah, That's I just want, want to be there. I want the weather report from that day. <laughs> um, but, um, but no, it's it's it was very well received out of the Toronto International Film Festival where it had its world premiere. I believe its US premiere will be at the AFI Film Festival. It will be the closing night film. Um, and it was one of the first times ever uh, that Spielberg took his films to a, a fall festival. Uh, usually he's... Like last year for West Side Story, he didn't do any of that. He just straight up, let's just release it and and have you know the critics see it that way. And so it was a bit of a surprise. But with something like Killers of the Flower Moon and some other big titles that were pushed back or some other ones that we just don't know about yet, like Babylon from Damien Chazelle, The Fableman has been positioned by most people as the de facto frontrunner. And then after seeing it. It, it it evidently uh, shocking. It has the goods because Steven Spielberg <laughs> is a good director, and so it's good been thirty. Figure. It's been about thirty years since he's won a Best Picture, and it's been since nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety eight. I'm sorry that he won Best Director for Saving Private Ryan. So it's been a while, and so it would seem as if it is positioning itself for one last uh, big celebratory. Uh, move by the Oscars um, it doesn't mean he's retiring or anything because I know I, I've said that before and people are like he's not retiring <laughs> um, <laughs> but no I do think that in the latter parts of their years these directors are so special it means so much to people that celebrating them with Oscars makes 100 percent sense
1: yes. oh yeah I just wanted before we get started to give a little bit of Context If there's any listeners who don't know all that much, with a few examples of things that informed me and others behind the scenes of the story of the Spielberg family. First, I want to just mention the James Lipton actor studio interview from 1999, where Lipton asks um, Stephen about. Close Encounters, and makes a reference to the music and his mom and dad. And it seems to be the first time that Stephen actually has thought of or realized that he's making movies about his parents. Let's listen to that clip.
0: Your father was a computer scientist. Your mother was a musician. When the spaceship lands, how do they communicate? That's they- a very good question. I like that.
1: <laughs> You've answered the question.
0: They make music on their computers and they are able to speak to each other. You see, I'd love to say, you know, I intended that and I realized that was my mother and father, but not until this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, so that was a big moment for him, apparently, Um, and then just mention a sixty-minute segment from 2012. Leslie Stahl is interviewing him—a deep dive interview. Here we get to meet his parents. They're in their nineties at this point, Leah and Arnold's uh, Spielberg. We understand that Arnold is an electrical engineer. He's the one that really showed Steven space. He pointed um, to you know space and talked to him about it. But he was never there. He was a complete workaholic. They moved around. All the time. And he says in this uh, 60 Minutes episode that he really missed him. His mother, Leah, was a homemaker, incredible pianist. And he talks about her as Peter Pan. She refused to grow up, she let him do anything. During this time, he was incredibly bullied for being Jewish. And then came the divorce at around 50. He was 15 and it completely crushed him in the 60 minutes thing. We understand that there was a twist, which if we at this point who have followed Spielberg's career didn't know. And that was that he had always blamed his father through the beginning of his career for this divorce, because obviously Leah was very unhappy and he wasn't there, but it turns out that she had fallen in love with one of his best friends, his father's best friends. And, arnold spielberg never told steven and protected her she says in 60 minutes he forgave me i think i was so unhappy he covered for me and then arnold says when steven blamed me he did it in his movies after that you see a change in spielberg's movies that's just some context for what i think we'll be seeing a lot of in the fablemans of his parents um But let's get into this. I thought we'd talk about fathers, mothers, and families in general in Spielberg's. And since we mentioned Close Encounters, which I think is almost his most brutal depiction of a father, why don't we start there?
0: I mean, the most brutal depiction, right, of somebody that just becomes so obsessed with something that it devoids, um, (laughs) devoids his responsibilities and the fact that the Richard Dreyfus character by the end makes a choice that would haunt Spielberg as a director and a writer for so many years, right? It is He has said, and, and this is a man that's made the BFG. <laughs> okay. 1941. And he says that this is his biggest regret is the ending of close encounters because of the fact that, as you said, as time has passed, he has sort of mended fences with his, with his family and, has accepted it, so that's why I think it's also interesting that he is able to do the Fablemans now. Because I think if he made the Fablemans at this time in Close Encounters, you'd get this character that seems so selfish,
1: leaves his children to go to space,
0: and then literally you're like you're saying it's like he taught him space. This literally become a spaceman, mm-hmm. like to leave his family and abandon them and feel this this sense of, for an audience, like the sense of wonder. And you're just like, oh, of course. But for a lot of people, it it is one of his most divisive, yet one of his most best films. But it at the core of it is, I think, like you mentioned with the Leslie Stahl interview, it is the sense of he left me. And this is what it felt like.
1: Oh, he's pissed off at his dad in this movie. There's
0: there's no question about it. And it's but it doesn't make mean that the movie's not great and and entertaining in the ways that Spielberg does, but for but for me, re-seeing scenes and contextualizing it, it's just it's just like, man, you were you really went in on him. And you know, it takes a lot of time, like you know this with family members it takes a lot of time to to heal and mend those fences and uh and i could only imagine what it was like for his family after seeing this film especially his father for
1: arnold you know? yes yeah he seems to be the man that doesn't say anything he didn't he kept quiet about you know this and then he sort very of very internal even come to him yeah which you know for for better or worse, is, is the way many fathers, I think, were of that generation. There's also really interesting mothers in Close Encounters, because we mm-hmm. have the wife who basically is being left. And of course, I mean, she seems angry and bitter, but who wouldn't um, at that point? And then you have the mother of the child who's abducted. Do you, what do you say about those two women?
0: I think that, I think that they encapsulate everything about his mother The sort of the fr she's you know the frustration of your husband sort of leaving you and and you know that the inevitability is about to come and then the 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 aban- the, the abandonment the attachment of your child right and and for me watching it, it it's just it, this is why i'm excited about the fablemans is going back and searching for the answers to a puzzle that is about to be put together in like two months or whatever. And his, his mother in, in this movie, it's a very, (laughs) for me, it's a very uh, favorable interpretation of what she's going through, because like you said, he doesn't know all these other things at the time. He hasn't forgiven his father. So he favors her in a very easy light. You know, she's she's this person with a halo on top of her head, and so she's very innocent. And so the the women in the film, I think, are innocent to a lot of these things, and therefore they are the victims. They are the ones that things are happening to them that change them: loss of a child, loss of a husband, um, and the burden and the the sadness is left with them. The loss of that child, the, the inevitability of losing that husband, the realities of life without them and what that is going to toll, you know.
1: A little protest to the word victim. If we go to the movie after we're E.T. with <laughs> one of the best divorce oh. scenes in any movie, yeah. that <clears throat> dinner scene where where they're eating pizza and, and Dee Wallace and the kids, she says, that you, maybe you should call your dad. Um, well, he's in Mexico with his girlfriend, Elliot mm-hmm. says, but she's a single mother, but she's really strong. I mean, oh, she's no, taking care he, of this he, situation he, with, you know, she he has an appreciation of the signal. He mom, does. So no, it's movies.
0: it. He flips the script, I think, a little bit with that because he's just like, OK, he's gone. He's not even a part yeah, we of the story. Even see him in that we don't movie. see him. We don't see him. He doesn't exist. Like everything, like literally, you have this alien and all this stuff going on in the FBI and everything. You know what I mean? You've you've got the government literally in your back door, and dad's never called. No. Because it's like he doesn't exist. He is gone at this point. Not even a
1: phone call. What's going on over at the house there? Your
0: children are, are being questioned by the United States government. No, none of that. It's I've got to do best i can with the situation in which i have it i don't think she's i i think they're two separate things you know he i think he evolves with his films as we're going to talk about you know like i think he sees her in that that's why i think a lot of those regrets of close encounters for me it's it's not just his father it is his mother he's playing these you know these two sort of cards and it's very easy to sort of put those out there by et it's clear he's like no actually she's kind of a badass Mm -hmm. and she raised us she stuck her neck out for us and she did things that others weren't and realizing that and i think that that just comes with he was a very young filmmaker when he made close encounters he's still you know and by the time even though it's a couple years it's a couple years apart to really sit back a little bit more and appreciate it you know i think as you get into your 30s or whatnot you just start to see things a little bit differently than you are you know. Um, in in your 20s and then 30s to 40s
1: in life. You change your perception of your childhood and your family with every new moment in your life. You have a certain perception when university and then when you have your own children and then when you get your own divorce or whatever. And Mm -hmm. and he really has done this in the open all through his career and made some like you're saying, I think it's so interesting that you're calling this, you know, these big regrets that he has there on film in his storytelling, even before those two movies that we talked about, we have The Family and Jaws, which to me seems like his... That's what he wanted. That's the beautiful nuclear family when they're sitting having dinner and the little boy and the father are are mimicking each other's, you know, the boy is looking at his father looking concerned and he puts his hands on his face and the father puts his in. it's such a touching moment. It's a completely different, you have this united, divided and reunited family structures that he has in all his films and he sort of started there and then it just broke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it it does break, and I think you know it starts there, and then you see the sort of decline. <clears throat> but then I think you see it rise up in in different ways throughout his the rest of his career, the sort of appreciation. And I mean, it's not even just his parents; the internalness about him becoming a parent. Mm. I think of Alan Grant in Jurassic Park, um, of of a perfect example of a character in which he sees children early on and he's like abusing this child or whatever with like the claw. Right. And then he has to, this is a guy who doesn't really want to have kids and him and Ellie sort of talking about that, whether or not you see him and Ellie Sattler as like this romantic couple is another conversation for another time, but he has to grapple with the fact that, you know, with the idea of being a figure for a child being a, a, essentially a hero being a parent in that movie that movie is about parenthood uh, for the majority of it and weirdly enough it's 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 him kind of grappling with i want to be the best version of a parent that i never got maybe for my father or uh, or as a duo with my mom and my father and the regrets and sort of the tendencies to want to back off a little bit so when i see Jurassic Park I see the dinosaurs I see all that but I also see a man struggling with the self of of knowing that he's he is at one point going to possibly be a father Mm -hmm. and that's what separates that film from all the other Jurassic Parks is understanding that there's something more than just the spectacle it's the it's the it's the internal monologue that the director is bringing to it
1: Right in that vein of character, we of course have Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds, oh, who yeah. I think is when when he Spielberg actually started to realize that he hadn't probably seen the divorce in its full glory and what really happened because there you have. Tom Cruise, who's a divorced father, and he has to save his child. He's basically been estranged from during this alien invasion. And at the beginning of the film, he doesn't even know how to sing a lullaby. And he sort of grows quite quickly in two hours. But but anyway, and this is another... I mean, Cruise also did this in a way in Minority Report, where he's also sort of haunted by a, a dead son. And somehow in these movies, he seems to be working out that maybe... My father tried and would succeed eventually, but.
0: The same year as Minority Report, there's Catch Me If You Can, which I think to me is is my favorite um, depiction of divorce or anything, because I think that that is finally when he he uses another person's story. We use other people's stories all the time as, sto- as, as uh, film lovers, storytellers, to just oppose those lives on our lives. And so I think uh the when you asked me to do this topic, the number one thing I jotted down was Christmas in the window, and Catch Me If You Can. Frank Abagnale Jr. G just runs off the plane out of um, out of Carl's, played by uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Carl Hanratty. He just he jumps to the plane and he goes to run to his mother's house, a mother that has. It sort of flipped the script, right? Because his father's been there with them, even though his father's very eccentric in the film, his mother is with his best friend, right? And they have started a life beyond Frank, beyond anything. But the whole film is about the whole con really is about trying to get them back together. And there's the two mice in a bucket cream scene with Christopher Walken early in the film, Mm. you know, where. They're sitting there at the table and he's like, come on, it's just not going to happen. Like, You need to get over it. You need to grow up in this sense. But it is not until he looks in the window and he sees this, this child walk up there and goes, where's Where's your mommy? And she points at his mother and he realizes that's like a half sister and realizes that the, this adolescent dream of the perfect family. Is not going to happen. And, and at that point, that's when he really gives himself up to the, the police and really just says, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to chase this anymore. And that to me is Spielberg saying, I am not in my films going to chase I'm
1: done. <laughs>
0: the perfect family anymore. I And I'm not going to blame anyone anymore. And that's when you're right. War of the Worlds comes out. And Minority Report at the same time, and it's like I think when he's working on Minority Report, he starts seeing these things, or the world comes out. It's about a bad father and trying to avoid being an even worse example for your children, and trying to, in the face of all adversity, sur- you know, change him and survive them. Obviously, yes, like you said, in a miraculous two-hour turnaround for that movie. <laughs> um, but catch me if I if you can. Is the movie for me that changes everything for him, weirdly enough, because now you've, I mean, in the back half of his catalog, there's a lot of more sentimentality.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, now he has his own kids, you know, he yeah. went through his own divorce. He had his own blended family. I think there was so many eye opening things, you know, what he found out about his parents' divorce Catch me if you can is really an underrated. One doesn't talk about that as much in this context. Leonardo DiCaprio, his character, or you know, the real life character, also one of these Spielberg characters that you see in like Empire of the Sun, mm-hmm. um, Color Purple, the, the kid who has to survive on their own while looking for you know, their family and their parents. I mean, they go through this trauma very much alone, which I think also has been sort of a staple of how he's seen what you have to do as a child, seemingly feeling very much alone and what's and how to deal with these things.
0: I mean, I I think that that even goes back to something as I know this movie, people don't like it, but I'm going to bring it up. It even goes back to something like hook, the -hmm. idea what ties him into hook. Like, Steven Spielberg doing the Peter Pan film. Like you mentioned, it's like, okay, like, you know, the sort of Tinkerbellish, um, you know, whimsy that was in his household at the time, but the way he depicts Peter Pan is very lonely. The idea of that this pan like figure leaves Neverland grows up has to be so serious, has to be the, 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 the model example, and it has to be. Uh, the breadwinner and has to and the sense of wonder is gone. The sense of discovery. And I think like at a, a turning point in his career again, where he's kind of looking at himself being like, all right, dude, like it's okay to make a, you know, I made ET. Don't you remember? I made ET. Like, you know, don't you remember? I made Jaws? Like, and I made, I made entertaining films. I didn't make things that were so serious all the time. And I didn't have to be so serious. Like the sense of magic and wonder can be there. If you are able to, understand where you're at in the world and i think like a lot of his movies internalize these uh, and are therapeutic in a way for him that not a lot of filmmakers are and yes people can say well it's just like do get over it but it's it's hard to get over those things it really is like it's more than just shrugging them off these are serious things that he's dealing with within himself within genre which a lot of you know directors don't don't normally do You know, I think of in a modern context, something like Jordan Peele is able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that he'll, you know, but he's not bringing, he's bringing in um, themes and uh, discussions from the outside. And it's not personal, or at least it's not as personal as one would think to the point, to the level and degree of you're bringing up your parents and you're bringing up um, regret and anxiety and depression. And uh, and 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 things that are generational that you might carry. This is baggage on a shoulder. In which that I, I as as I was looking at the films again and and doing the exercise, I was just kind of like, my my God, I I I felt for him more. I felt for him, and 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 when you have empathy for your artists, that's when you and them can have, I think, a real conversation and then real catharsis.
1: Later part of his career, this is not our topic here, but of course he's talked a lot about going back to his Jewish roots. You know, really wanted to do that with Schindler's List. He, He started the whole Shoah Foundation. He did tremendous work with that. But what do you make of lots of his later movies in this context? Something like Lincoln, for example. Oh my
0: God yeah i was i was i was that was another one i wrote down for later context because that is a whole movie by the way lincoln i love lincoln but damn it i still get mad at that last five minutes ten minutes of the <laughs> film and it's just they just cut it when he's walking down the hall I know that's that's the frustration sometimes with me with steven spielberg it's it's just a little too much sometimes steven um but that whole movie wrapped around the the you know, the amendment and the importance of that and the civil war and ending it and everything. It is also about a family that is falling apart, mm-hmm. that is it that is hanging on. But you think a nation is hanging on by a thread? <laughs> you haven't met the Lincolns. <laughs> um, you know, because they lost their son. Mary Todd cannot get over this, she cannot move on. You have the Joseph Gordon levitt character wanting to go fight in a war and he's and, and obviously his other son is very young and very innocent and with the burden of a nation on his shoulders he has to try to keep at bay his his wife from exploding and putting her in in the in you know in an institution and his son who, his frustrations is is growing with on a day di- and then when he slaps him i'll never forget the moment i saw when he slaps him and he puts his hand to him and it's that moment of he slaps him to shut him up but then there's immediate regret immediate and his son obviously you know pushes him away but lincoln just looks at him and it, it, there's a just a, a subtleness of to so the way the camera stays on Daniel day Lewis's face right there where it just goes,
1: damn, see it. <laughs>
0: I exploded and it's and it's, I, I couldn't. Why? Why did I do this? And I just, I think that by then he's able to, for me, be able to take out the personal and just focus on the character here. I think as he starts getting past catch me if he can and past certain things and he starts looking at family dynamics and everything. I think that's when he starts seeing maybe other people rather than just himself. And I think that that's a great thing because then that means you're starting to heal. You know, he has the relationship with his father in real life. that, you know, everybody's sort of trying to get together, you know, in the, in the, in the best way that's possibly can. But for me, for Lincoln, that's like the last time I think he has, you know, he's actually fully looked at a family. 100% and been able to maybe put a little bit into it, but not as much as he was before. But, and that's okay because you're, you're talking about Abraham Lincoln. I don't mm-hmm. need you to put yourself into it. But uh, I think that that's interesting that that's the dynamic that he and Tony Kushner, who wrote the Fable Mens with him, wanted to address when they're making Lincoln uh, in that sort of biopic nature
1: feels like he reaches a point, cat, post catch me if you can, starting with that one, where he also can really see the complicated dynamics of human relationships. I mean, before it was really interesting, but much more, you're bad, you're good, this happened, I'm sad. I like, I mean, I'm estranged from my father for 15 years. I'm not dealing with this. And then he starts to, you know, he's said it in several interviews that when he married Kate Capshaw, she's the one who really said, you have to make amends with your father and you have to talk. And he started realizing that, you know, maybe you have to, work at certain things and people will react differently to different people. My father is one way to my mother, one way to me. There's different emotions. What you're saying, that magic in the beginning is in a way gone because you're getting a little bit deeper and and not just doing yourself, you're doing other people, Mm -hmm. but in another way, you certainly see some growth there.
0: No, no, for sure. But I think also too, the growth in spurts is there even in his biggest character. Because his biggest character is who, Indiana Jones, mm. and so the biggest growth, even in this time of you know before Catch Me If You Can and all this stuff, the growth is of the Last Crusade, in being able to have a, one of the great father son oh, relationships and, in yes. cinema history. I mean the the ability. I mean when they're like talking about stuff on the blimp. Right, and you know, and he's just looking there. in his
1: book. Sean Connery's not even listening, and he's and nope. Diana Joe is talking about all these things, and and,
0: and then he just looks up at it and goes, "What?"
1: You know, what I mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then of course it, it's all about them at the end, and then even into something like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he carries over the sentimentality of generation of you know from from that being a father son to now him being a father. And having a son and being able to move past a lot of those and try to be better than what he was, you know what I mean, in a in a more hilarious over the top sort of way. But I mean, when you when you see Indiana Jones at first, you know, in Raiders, which is in my opinion, his best film, um, and and, and a perfect film. There's never been a more perfect film than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, Indy doesn't have any of that stuff. There isn't a backstory about his father. There isn't a backstory really about a mother. There isn't a backstory about any family whatsoever. He's just an archaeologist and he's just kind of doing it. And it's really at a time in which he's making some personal films about families. It is the one that is sort of stripped away of like, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to go on my adventures and I'm going to make a character in which I can escape to.
1: Well, can I add something here? Yes. Yeah. I I think there's a little. Oh, you do. This is just a little thing that I found interesting here. One of the stories about Leah Spielberg is that Mm. she one day uh, when everyone came home, there was a monkey in their house. He was a child, and well, she had driven by some pet store or something like that, seen this monkey, and said, "It looks sad. I'm taking it home." And that's the way she was. And all of a sudden, they're this suburban, you know, for, oh. you're with a monkey. And I think that Marion is a has things of Leah. Um, I think she's this three really tough, beautiful scenes where she's with the monkey. You know, <laughs> but I think that Leah was a very charismatic character in that sense so i think he put a little bit of leah and marion
0: oh yeah i mean you're you mentioned it with et but especially with this it's like i'm gonna build a tough female you know but also like elegant female character in the midst of this action spectacle
1: I would My God, she he, left but, her life. She lives in Mongolia, for God's yeah, sake, and drinks she's drinking more her than al- the other guys. <laughs> I
0: know. Anytime, anytime I watch that scene, by the way, I get really thirsty. But anyway, <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, you're gonna make a character like that. I think that you you look to the strong women in your life, and who's the strongest person in Steven Spielberg's life? You know, before he's married or he has kids or anybody else's, it's, it's his mother. So I, I see that completely. I didn't, I didn't know that about the monkey. So that actually makes 100% sense, but he's not doing it obviously in some sort of romantic way. It's just little things to, to bring out that character, but it right. really, it, but I also do think that it really goes back with, with Indiana Jones, like Harrison Ford, who is the, the toughest son of a gun on the planet to you know get a smile out of it. it, it, it it's funny that that's his favorite character. And that's the person that he goes because he finds it to be a place of escape and loves telling those stories. And I think for Spielberg, that's the same way too. Mm -hmm. I do think that he goes to Indiana Jones in his darkest times, in his most reflective times, in his times of celebration. I mean, like it's a weird thing, all the films and then this giant space between last crusade and kingdom of the crystal skull. And then when he comes back, it really is a throwback, but then it's also about a family when you really think about it and bringing back those elements of the past, right? Because then, you know, Marion returns and um, they're married and everything by the end of the film and sort it's of
1: reuniting, which he loves, yeah, He does a which, lot. <laughs> which
0: he loves doing that and being able to sort of, you know, take all those characters that he loves and put them in a place of safekeeping, I think, by the end. And puts him almost in a place where he's at, has a child, sort of semi-retired, married to the woman of his of, of his life, you know, um, you know, someone that reminds him of his mother in a lot of ways, and is able to challenge him and able to push him. You know, Kate Capshaw is, is somebody that is it's you know, has been around a long time with Steven Spielberg, and like you said, was able to push him to reconciliation with his father, and that's that's in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You know, you're talking about a father that wasn't there, an absentee father, much like Sean Connery. But by the end, there's a relationship there. There's something to build on. And uh, so, yeah, it's really interesting, even with his biggest character, that he's able to, to tackle that in a certain degree.
1: What do you make of the relationship with Short Round?
0: I think that that's like a precursor to what we see later. But I also, you know, I have a mix. I always have mixed feelings about Temple of Doom. It's not my favorite Indiana Jones. That also that character I have issues with uh, just in general from a cultural standpoint. Um, But I do think that you'd be a fool not to see that. That's Indiana Jones also, too, much like Alan Grant seeing this child and being able to. The
1: man who doesn't think he wants a child or a relationship. The tough exterior. Sort of stuck with one. Yeah.
0: Yes. And uh, which is which is really interesting. I think he cares more. I think he cares more for short run in the film than the female. In the film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I think that, you know, when he. Strikes him right because there's a moment where he strikes him if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. um there is regret once he gets out of his trance and it's like this like no that wasn't me and it's also like too it's like a moment of when we get to our most uh corrupt our most taken by anger and violence right that we 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 get to that place but that's not really who we are you know so i think that there's a little bit of of that in there too
1: he's got some critique over the years, of course, for not portraying as many women in his films mm-hmm. as, as he has, But and that's all true, and um, he hasn't that much, but I have to say, talking to you now, when we do discuss the women that are in his films, they are pretty interesting. Some of them are pretty tough. Some of them are dealing with some pretty tough issues um, in relationships or in, you know, they're scientists, or you know, think of Laura Dern or whatever. And 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 you know, even in, in Lincoln. I mean, he is he is looking at women who are going through a lot of things and basically have to deal with them. They're not in the lead, they're not his main focus, but but it is something there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think of meryl streep in the post and what Kay graham has to go through she has to make this giant decision this has never been her place to make a decision like this and she's got all these men breathing down her neck you know when it comes down to it and by the end of it it's her on the phone going no no let's go let's run it let's do it you know and uh and i think that that's something that he doesn't really have Early in his career, I think later in his career, he's made movies about women. You know, uh, West Side Story is definitely one uh the the, the post. Um, I do think about Mary Todd because mm-hmm. I think of the scenes when she's grieving and she's crying. And then the next minute she's at the party being the hostess and run the front and center. And it's devastating to have to bottle those emotions up. You know, and you really think about uh, how you have to be turned on uh, for 24, seven, when you're in that position, right. it's being first lady or being just in the public eye like that. And I think that's, that's the other thing too, about Spielberg is that for the most part, no one's ever seen Steven Spielberg ever get angry in real life. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, there's no sense of, you can't see him have regret, have anger, frustration, um, disappointment. And we never get to see that unless it's an intimate conversation, sit down with, you know, Lipton or Leslie Shaw. And even in the Lipton clip, he's like laughing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I guess I did. You know, And it's a smile. There's always a smile on his face. And you're like, no, that's that's.
1: He talks that's about not, things in in, right. in the past that seem oh there he was angry and he he gave up a whole relationship with his father for 15 years but he's telling it today with sort of My a smile, like you know, hey yeah, and, men you know. and everything yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> no, now Tristan. let's talk about Jaws. you know what i mean it's like no stephen they, you know that can't be
1: but he has really seen his mother. I mean, maybe seen her in, in different wrong lenses at some points and stuff, but but I mean he, he is trying to think about women in several of his films. And, and oh no, course, for sure. It, it's not a movie that everyone thinks he was the right director for, certainly, but like the color purple. Yeah. I think was a huge challenge for him.
0: Yeah. I mean, even even something like Saving Private Ryan, what is the whole goal of the movie? It is to get the last son of Mrs. Ryan home. She only has one son left. Everyone else has died. So it's about him and his mother. Really. When you think about it through the war and the spectacle and everything, and it's, it's, it's literally him just saying at times I felt like it was just me and my mother on an Island. And, you know, I find that to be really interesting as it, of a hook for him to no pun intended to get in and to get into that giant war film and to get into that like one of the more macho films is about a group of these strangers sacrificing themselves to get this one kid home to his mother and that's all really and that's really the goal of the director here is to get the child home get home safely to his mother and that when i started thinking about that too i'm like that's right that's 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 exactly what he's trying to do and then i think about the terminal which is another film that people don't like i I like the terminal and that whole movie the determination of that character to want to bear tribute to his father in jazz and the thing that they connected with. And you know. You'll probably see it in the Fablemans. The connective tissue of both of these parents. And his influences on film. But for but for me. I look at both those films. And they're minor details. But they're the whole thrust of an entire. Character arc and a story. Of one is about the mother. And one is about the father. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's where our main characters end up at the end and they get that relief. They get that catharsis inside. And for me, I find that that's interesting too, because, I mean, you wouldn't think of it when you watch those films, especially the Terminal, because nobody watches the Terminal except me, (laughs) evidently. Um, But but I but I see that I see him in there.
1: Oh, it's always in there. Mm -hmm. What about A.I.?
0: I try to I try to block out A.I. Um think about AI is that I understand what he's trying to bring to it, but also, and then maybe you could speak to it more, but, but I see, I see what Kubrick was trying to bring into it. And I think that the, the whole thing clashes for me and I haven't seen it in a long time. So I need to kind of sit down with it. And through this conversation, this lens of, and and, and uh, my good friend, Brandon Cassidy over at Incession Film, it's one of his favorite films. Of all time, and it just and I think that that movie hit him and it hits people at certain like Spielberg's movies they hit you at different times in your life and that's one I still have wrestled with because I'm like I think it's a Kubrick movie and and he's trying to do that and and I think it's unfocused and I understand that there's this family dynamic this interesting family dynamic uh you know in it but but not nearly as but I get distracted I think by the Kubrickness of it to to really have a. Giant opinion on
1: it. It kind of got away from him. I agree with that.
0: No, there's a couple that's got away from him. He's got a handful like the BFG and War Horse and um, Ready Player One, like movies. I just like,
1: oh, Ready Player One. I hardly got through.
0: I I sat there and I was just like, what are you making this for? What are are you doing? Like, you know, like I get and then, but then he makes West Side Story. I'm like, okay, I understand why you made this. All right, let's move on. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, um,
1: I think you're able to
0: forgive him a little bit more as a director, more than other directors, right? Like certain directors you're able to forgive maybe after they made some stinkers. And he's definitely one of those.
1: I mean, he's given us so much just... I mean, he may not be Scorsese, but just pure entertainment. Um, as yes. kids, Pure. Several of us have movies that really, you know, touched us as kids. I think that that's one thing that really lives on with you. If you've had an experience as maybe a 10-year-old, be it Star Wars or be it, for me, E.T., that it, it lives on. If it's something that got you thinking about your own life and your own parents and it made you at, at that age, it's so much more impactful than what we may have today at our age, because it really is just opens up a bunch of things you weren't thinking about. He's really done that. And then he's had some stingers, but he's also worked so much for so many decades that what are you going to do? But talking about West Side Story, besides the fact that he said in a few interviews that he and his mother this was the first soundtrack they had at their house and this was you know always playing um what other in this context sort of reasons do you see for him making this
0: oh my god i mean for the longest time i was trying to figure out why he was making it um because it's because it's like what are you are you trying to torture yourself <laughs> Um mean making West side story i think it was the the challenge of making a musical i I think that anybody that's a fan of musicals like steven spielberg is you always Mm -hmm. want to make one Uh, i think it is the loving ode to his mother and that this is the the movie the music that bonded them this is the soundtrack of their of your life Mm -hmm. you know what i mean in a weird way right and so before you tackle your family Make make that last big thing for her while you got the while you got the chance, but I also think too it is an interesting story about identity. It's about angst. It's about love. It's things that he's always wanted to attack, has always tackled, if not wanted to tackle again. Um, you know, when you think of Maria in the film too, she is, um impressionable by bernardo and, and and anita and everything and she's she's very innocent and then she meets tony and it and it sort of changes her life and the sense of what love can do to we can it, it can it could take you on a whirlwind of emotions just within a night and i think what was interesting also too is adding ruta moreno's character and giving her a different sense than what the original character in the film or in romeo juliet's context the friar or whatever you know the priest um giving her this this sense of being on the middle and having to see both sides of it and i think it's weirdly a political film too from the standpoint of where we're at as a country now as a country then and um and i see i think that his collaborations with tony kushner over the last couple of years have just been the smartest move
1: so cuz
0: kushner's able to use dialogue and exploration of character to get to the heart of what Spielberg is really trying to get at. So that's why I think and then he can not,
1: bring his technical yes. prowess and then he into can, this. He can have
0: those beautiful crane shots and and the, the choreography and the cinematography and 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 just really go hog wild on a technical level because he is a technical genius. So it it but he has to have a script that matches that you know sometimes. And I think in later parts of his life He's done some adaptations that made me weary, but then when he did it, 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 there's, it was very, per, it was a personal, it, it's like when, you know, like I, you know, when like that <laughs> Michael Jordan meme or whatever from the last Dance he's like, and I took that personally, yeah. that's what I think West side story is. I think it's like, I took that personally that I'm movie doing and, this and, for me. I'm, and i'm i'm doing this one this is for me i've made all these about everyone else you guys, and I think, if you, you know, want
1: to come that's fine i'm really he finally
0: said i'm making one for me i guess you know well, good I mean? for him
1: <laughs> uh, just a, a little concerning how you feel as a kid when something impacts you the rita moreno rape scene in the original was something that really impacted yeah. me as a kid i mean i i it took me a few times. I saw this movie so many times to really sort of get what was going on. And it And then so many years later, when Rita Moreno goes and basically stops her own rape, which she does in this movie. And she it calls just them was... rapists. Yeah. And she calls them rapists. And that was such a full circle for me in a way that he can do. That made a, lot, a huge impression for me last year when I saw it. I thought oh, about yeah. that for a long time.
0: Well yeah no and you know I'm a child of divorce. And so watching his films over the years when he has the the ability to just kind of look at everything as we're as we're talking about I I grew up on musicals and I grew up on West Side Story and singing in the rain and you know sound of music and And anything roger anything rogers and hammerstein i could put you know sondheim anything in the house you know that he could put and i think that that's the other thing too is musicals are fantastical right they're the ultimate escape you know like you have to you have to stretch your imagination to the point in which you think that you and i could start singing at any moment you know about anything you know if you're in a sondheim musical it's about you know anything and so i think that that is an inspiration to him in probably times that were very troubling, you know, like, you know, divorce it, divorce, not to get too personal, but you know, my parents do not have not done it the way that everybody has, like my parents, you know, in the midst of their divorce, my mother uh, developed breast cancer. And so it really, it really changed the dynamic of our family to, petty squabble, like two people, these two people just can't be together. And so ultimately what's best is us to raise our child and do it in a civil way. And so therefore, you know, my parents, they still talk all the time and everything. And it's, you know, it's never been, um, there's never been the estrangement that Spielberg has with his family. And so I, I, I sympathize because I know that I'm in a, a, a very place of of, of of uncharted territory for so many people, but also, I watch his films and I still see the same things like catch me. If you can, you know, you know, all the films that we've talked about, I watched catch me that you can in the theater. I was a very young kid when I saw that film, probably too young to see it, you know, probably shouldn't have seen it in the theater, but I did. And I just remember watching that movie and i didn't get out of you know i usually i get out of my seat and I, I don't walk out of the theater i still do that now and day i'm like okay goodbye i don't want to you know i I don't want to talk to anybody about this i want to kind of sit on it i sat in my seat as a kid cuz i was like i think this movie is like everything i'm going through right now and yes. i think that and i think that the it's therapy and he's providing a therapeutic nature for himself to release all these emotions to release now i think The full story, or at least his full truth about it in a context that's fully realized rather than one sided, even though I haven't seen the failments, I assume that it's very, you know, full circle and realized, but for, for others, it's a sense of being able to grapple those emotions and know that it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Because he's because of the fact that if he can get through it now, you can as well.
1: And it's so interesting, even as a young director with, you know, D. Wallace, the mother character in E.T., when I was little, I saw it from the perspective of Elliot as a child of divorce myself Mm -hmm. and and related very much to to this. Then when I've seen it with my kids after my own divorce, I completely see her turning around to do the dishes so they won't see how sad she is over. I mean, he encompassed in in the divorce scenes that he did especially in the single mother she's both sides of the story already then i didn't really think about what she was going through when i saw it in 1984 but no. then when i saw it after my own thing and you're suddenly seeing there she is you know she has a lot on her plate and you, i started seeing everything in from her perspective in a way i hadn't done which i think is so interesting
0: no for for real and that's and that i mean that's it's the truth is that about not just his films but films in general right is that like we see i i i can't tell you how many movies i've seen when i was a kid and then i re watch them now and i go
1: really <laughs>
0: did i no it was just like what i'm watching an entirely different thing you know rewatching et recently because of the anniversary i was like I love this movie, but it is sad. Like this is a sad movie. Like it's it's beautiful, but man, I, I was I profound sadness. And it's like, it okay, I, I'm an adult. For a kid, it's wonder. You know, for a kid, it's stranger things. You know, <laughs> like I think that's what the Duffer brothers. I don't think they've watched E.T. in a while because I don't think they uh know how sad it is. Um they they see the they see the the adventure. Mm-hmm. And you see that as a kid and that draws you in, but then it's the, it is the sadness. It's the dynamic of a family. It's, it's having to fight for what's yours in a in a, in, at any point of peril. And it's, and, and yeah, she's, I mean, she's a great character and a caveat in a, a vessel. I guess is a better way of saying that for, for his mother, but there's so many that are, and there's a lot of great vessels for his father. And I mean, he's just, He's just able to pack it all in. Uh, yeah, Catch Me career. If You
1: Can is a profoundly sad movie, too, oh but it also glitter. I mean, it's also incredibly well, it's
0: this cat and mouse game. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then, but then there's the whole reason he starts not going to school is because of the fact that his parents are in the midst of a divorce, you know. Christopher, Christopher Walking in that movie, my God, <laughs> Um, when he goes, you know, when he's looking at him and he's like, you know, my son, he's with Pan Am and he's like, where are you going tonight? Because everybody wants to know where you're going. And it's and, and he's he's a con artist, too. But it's also like the understanding of like. Your father's just like you. You are just like your mother, too, in that you kind of want to get away from everything. And it took you years and stealing so much money and everything to finally see it, like I said, in a window. And then he has reform. Right. Then he's able to realize that, you know, Frank Abagnale Jr. In the film, at least and in real life, too, because he helped, out, you know, the FBI with a lot of cases, he's able to realize that my childhood and my parents do not define me. It's what I do with the life that I'm given. And I think that that's true for not just Frank in the film, but obviously Steven Spielberg as well.
1: Yeah. Before I get into the last few questions, is there any movie I haven't or we haven't mentioned here that you had scribbled down that you wanted to get into?
0: No, I got, I got, I've gotten into everything.
1: Oh, good. What I wanted to end on is a very hypothetical. Discussion here. I'm not sure, you know, how how we'll be able to talk about it. But now, when he does the fablemans, when he actually puts on film the story Mm. that he's been telling us for decades and decades, what will he do after? I mean, what's what happens when you do that? In
0: (laughs) well, I have said this, and some people have said this, and I don't think it will actually happen. But I think it would be a good bookend. I do like. I don't want him to, and I don't think he will because I think he'll.
1: Oh, he won't. This is he, no he'll insane. do something,
0: but I, <laughs> no. But personally, I think it would make a good bookend to your career. Just, just to kind of to put it all to bed. That's why I think the Academy in audience, like the TIFF audience, the you know, the audience award went to that film. You know, usually it doesn't go to the front runner you know, that we've had for a year almost. <laughs> um, and usually they don't deliver um, and stay this long and, and, you know, award seasons or whatnot, you know, that's another conversation for another time. But if it is the personal film that he's wanted to make, if it is, you know, the movie that I think it's going to be, I think that you think it's going to be based off this conversation where we mm-hmm. hope it, it will be. I think it it would be very hard for him to ever make another movie about a family without being like, Well, you kinda of already did it, dude. It's kind of done. Like, you know what I mean? It'd be kind of hard to make um a lot of films going forward. So I would, I would, I would say that it would be a lovely book into a, a long, long career. It won't happen though like that. Obviously, he's probably got like 700 things that he's <laughs> yes, so I can't even imagine what he do
1: and, with himself?
0: You know, I've I know I know he's Really, never made a western, and we I know he's, some I, genre
1: I, films left so, in him. You know,
0: I think he's got that. I think, but I do think him stepping away from Indiana Jones, and giving that to James Mangle, I think that is a sign of things mm-hmm. to come, or he will hand off things, or he will be more of a producer than he will be a director. And I think that West Side Story, and now the wins are deeply personal right. ventures. For it him. has to be personal for him, I think, going forward, because I think he knows, you know, he knows that time is, is of the essence. You know, I'm not saying he's going anywhere, but, you know, we all, you know, directors say this all the time. We know when our expiration date is, and so we have to be able to be aware of that before we've go gone over the hill. But I do also think this too, and this is my last thought, and I'll kick it over here, is that, you know, the one thing that I have seen about people already saying about the fablements is well if it was steve if it wasn't steven spielberg nobody would care and i think that that is such a disingenuous way of thinking about that film even though i haven't seen it because of the fact if you do this exercise if you see the breadcrumbs if you if you see what we have led up to for Mm -hmm. decades of work you know that this is the ultimate road that we had to go on at a certain point it's not a belfast or you know or (laughs) once upon a time in hollywood or a licorice pizza or even aroma where you you see those passion you know slice of life movies from these directors come and they're like it's my last chance to catch my uh my childhood in this bottle or whatnot This is a movie where it's like, no, the director has shown you for years he's leading to this point. And if he doesn't talk about it, it would be the ultimate regret that we would have as a cinematic audience to never see him tackle this. So it's vulnerable and it's uh, it's it's deeply um, just perfect, in my opinion, that he's doing it. And and I can't wait to see it. I've been it's in my top 10 films left to see this year that I'm dying to see because I, because the other thing that I want to make sure is that the magic is still there. And mm-hmm. I think it will be because when he's at his best is with that magic is when it's personal.
1: I just want to add on to that. You talked, you you mentioned the word vulnerable. That's what I think is when he's at his best and when he's really affected me is when he's actually being very vulnerable, when he's showing people at their absolute, you know, mothers and fathers who are not handling it well or who are at their lowest point and, and trying to succeed, um, who are making mistakes, who are, and for him to sort of make this bookend after the, the emotional journey he's taken where he's gotten things right, he's gotten things wrong, he's been emotionally traumatized, but also maybe seen things harshly um, and not opened up until much later. And to just put this out there and show it all, I think it, there's a certain amount of bravery to that. For someone in his position, hmm. he could no. be doing the yeah. Ridley Scott. What? What are they almost contemporaries? You mean doing House of Gucci or something? <laughs> this is.
0: <laughs> oh my this. God! Please, please no. <laughs> but also yes. Like, yes. like it's like like.
1: But you know what I mean.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I mean, it is interesting to see the 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 difference between his like his one of his best friends is Martin Scorsese, and you see Martin Scorsese going like all out. Every single time he makes a movie, like we mm-hmm. were supposed to get killers of the flower moon this year. And, you know, before that it was the Irishman before that it's, you know, like silence and, you know, it's it wolf of wall street. It's like, okay, I'm going to make these 100, 200, 300 million dollar epics and I'm going to throw it all on the screen <laughs> and I'm going to give you cinema. And he's realizing, okay, maybe I need to give you personal stories mm-hmm. again. And make you remember, make me, make me remember a little bit why they were so much. I mean, yes, even I know I've uh, uh, hit the BFG enough today um, (laughs) and it does, and it deserves a lot more, but it was a book that he read a lot when he was a kid and it it meant a lot to him, even though the, the movie's not good. It's still, you can understand why he made it like I've never sat there and been like why did he make this movie except Ready Player 1. I still will never you'll no, never be able it. to explain that to me. I I don't get it. I don't care if his kids were like this is the greatest book of all time. Like it never makes sense. But um but uh but yeah, no. I I just want to see the movie now. Dang it. Yes, we, now well, we've talked about this and now I just want to see the movie.
1: Ryan, when we have seen the movie, will you come back and absolutely sort of do a debriefing of this conversation? Wouldn't that be fun?
0: Oh yeah. Well, we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back to this. Yes. Well, Ryan
1: McQuaid. Thank you so much for joining me. This was really interesting. Um,
0: no, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, I mean, I, now I, am I'm, I'm kind of going to go back and watch more of his films. Again, yeah. <laughs> Re- do rewatches and, and, um it's always great when you talk about films that you know and that you love and that you appreciate and you look at them at a lens that
1: another perspective,
0: you, you know another perspective because then they open it opens up another door cinema's always opening up doors um, for you
1: ryan tell people where they can find you and read your stuff and and listen and all that
0: well you can find me on the internet uh on on social media platforms on twitter instagram and letterbox at ryan 77 you can follow my work over at um, Awards Watch, where I'm the executive editor over there, we have the Awards Watch podcast. We try to do that weekly, as well as all my reviews. Uh, I have reviews from Telluride, as well as I'll have ones from Fantastic Fest, Middleburg, and AFI, all these different film festivals throughout this year uh and if you're not over there then i'm over at in session film the playlist and film speak and over at in session film i do the extra film podcast which we're actually in the middle of a martin scorsese movie series right now so marty was a lot Great. on the mind and now spielberg's a lot on the mind so these two friends are, are definitely on the mind and do the next
1: uh, one on spielberg
0: we should no well the main well the main show did one on spielberg so they've they've done a whole full thing on him but uh I've always wanted to to dive into songs more and, and more. So maybe, maybe we'll just have to do another one. Um. But, uh, but yeah, you can find me all there. And thank you so much for, for having me on again. It's. Uh,
1: thank you. The, the best. And thank you to the listeners who have been listening. This is pop culture confidential, a part of the evergreen podcast network. Bye guys. Bye Ryan. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast.